Good morning, everyone. Well, this week, congratulations. You're getting to the longest day of the year. And in so many ways right now, it feels like we are moving towards the light, coming out of the dark caves of our pandemic and going out for dinners and seeing friends. And Madison Square Garden has got 20,000 people in it watching a Knicks game. I'm doing weddings again. <clears throat> I literally have three this month. Things almost feel abnormally normal again, except that it doesn't. <laughs> There's a level of unrest and detachment and rage that we're feeling around us and the whole world feels a little out of sorts. I had a conversation recently with a friend who helped me think about this issue and she talked about being with a group of people that she's been friendly with in the past, but she saw them for the first time in a very long time. And somehow seeing them again only made her feel more isolated because these were people she was friendly with, but she felt so unaware of what was going in their lives, going on in their lives that, um, that in some ways she felt reminded of their distance by seeing them again. There was a loss of intimacy or knowing about each other, and it made her feel more lonely in the crowd. During the pandemic, we may have all had a small circle that we stayed in touch with, but there's a whole layer of friends and family and neighbors and shopkeepers and all sorts of relationships that have probably atrophied over the last year plus. We're socially out of shape. These are muscles that we haven't been using for a very long time. And we can certainly get them all back, but it's gonna take some effort. And then I thought about this less on the personal level and more on a global level. And I was thinking about this general level of social atrophy has contributed to the level of agita that we're seeing in our nation, I think, and in the world on a larger level. And to illustrate what I mean and how I think this is connected, I wanna retell you a story from the Talmud of Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai. He is a second century rabbi who most famously entered a cave with his son, to study Torah because the emperor at the time um, uh, prohibited Torah study. And he studied Torah all day long in that cave with his son and they and there was a you know magical carob tree that fed them fruit and there was a stream there. So they never had to leave, they were sustained and they left, they studied there for 12 years and he gained so much wisdom. He became so wise. Uh, he eventually went on to write the Zohar, which is the Jewish mystical foundational text for Kabbalah. Now, I shared this story with you about Shimon Bar Yochai and his son and the cave <clears throat> because we were all in quarantine about a year ago. And I was focusing on the part of the story about how much wisdom you can gain when you are in a cave, when you're in solitude removed from the rest of society and just having the space to read and study and contemplate and 
be on your own. But today I want to focus on a very different part of the story, which is Shimon Bar Yochai's re-entry into society after he emerges from the cave, because that's where we are today, coming out of our caves. And let me tell you, it wasn't so pretty in the story. So Elijah the prophet tells Shimon Bar Yochai that the evil Roman emperor has died and it was safe to come out. The danger was over. But as Shimon and his son emerged, he looked at everyone around him with so much judgment and rage. Everything they were doing was wrong. He was far more righteous. And whatever he or his son looked at, people, things, they would be immediately set ablaze, incinerated by their eyes. Now, God is very unhappy about this. And a divine voice says, did you emerge from the cave just to destroy my world? Go back to your cave. And God sends Shimon Bar Yochai and his son back into the cave. And there they sat for another 12 months. This time it was 12 months, not 12 years. And when they emerged the second time, Elazar, that's Shimon's son, was still a young, you know, fiery idealist. And he still would strike everything he saw with his eyes, but his father would gaze upon it and heal it. Such an interesting and great story. And there's so much written about it that comes from the Babylonian Talmud from Shabbat 33b. Now, when I think about the violence that has erupted since we all came out of our quarantine, rising hate against Asians, rising anti-Semitism, more mass shootings, hate begetting hate. When I think about the impossibility of discourse on issues like anti-racism or Israel these days, when I think about the use of moralizing speech to tear other people down and polarization mistaken for principle, I feel like we are all Shimon, emerging from the cave, feeling self-righteous in our newfound wisdom, but setting fire to everything we see. This is not what our world needs. This is not what God wants us to do. And I realize that the ability to judge other people with compassion and with humanity is connected to this sense that we all have not been exercising our muscles of humanity and socialization. Those atrophied muscles mean that we often are not willing to give people the benefit of the doubt or to see their humanity or to have compassion. Instead, we wanna judge and destroy. Because when you don't feel that sense of emotional connection or intimacy, uh, it's easier to sit in that place of judgment and distance. So I think the story of the cave has a very different resonance for me right now. And I might suggest that our time of meditation, that we think of it as our re-entry into the cave only for a short amount of time. This is 12 months, not 12 years. But when we actually go into solitude with the intention of emerging 
with more humility, with the intention that we will emerge with more love, with the intention that, that we want to come out of our space to heal. That is really what the world needs. And because once Shimon understood what he was doing, his second shorter stint in the cave was directed at learning not to judge, but to love. So that's our task, that we, cre that we create this space of quiet meditation for the sake of healing. And for that end, I invite us to use the mantra, if you'd like, of refua, which is healing. Because we will need to exercise our muscles of being with other people again. Please do that when you're not meditating, laughing and hugging and enjoying other people. This will help us learn again to socialize and humanize. But this quiet time is one of discernment. How can we be less judgmental, more forgiving? How did we let ourselves get arrogant in our caves? How can we cultivate our humility? So here we are in this week of the most light, but let it not be the light of the fires that we are igniting against each other, but the light of God's world to see. So I'm gonna invite you to close your eyes, offer this mantra with me. I mean, I'm sorry, this prayer. Hmm. I thank you, God, for the gift of this day. I invite you just to take a deep breath in. And as you release it, just to sink deeper into your chair or your seat or your bed, wherever you are, you're just going to relax all of that <clears throat> and turn to this quiet time. And perhaps you want to offer that mantra of refuwa. Healing, make that your intention. Or you can just quietly sit in this space and feel enveloped by it and don't mind the time. <clears throat> 